Hello and welcome along to another episode of the How You Say It podcast with myself, Graham Colgiver. On this week's episode, I sat down a few weeks ago with Livingston Football Club manager David Martindale. For those of you who aren't too familiar with uh, Scottish football, Livingston are placed in the Scottish Premier League and every single year are tipped for relegation. However, David's managed to build a team and a squad to continuously achieve well above their expectation and at this moment in time they are currently fighting for an elusive top six place in the Scottish Premier League. The reason I wanted to speak to Davey was for uh, because of his, his interesting background. David spent a little bit of time in prison after uh, being involved in organised crime. He doesn't come from a football background and he's found himself starting out at the football club when he left prison literally as a a volunteer, somebody who would help paint the, the, the stadium or even sometimes literally just putting out cones for the manager at the time. He's worked his way through and he's learned all about the running of a football club and found himself as the manager of a Scottish Premier League team. As I say, Davey continuously overachieves the expectation level and I wanted to find out exactly what it is that he's done at that football club to be able to achieve some of the things that he has. It's a fascinating conversation. David has a very unique communication style, but I think when you hear the way that he talks about how he builds a culture within Livingston, it, it really is fascinating and there are plenty of lessons that we can all take from this one. So... I really hope you enjoy this one. Like I say, don't forget to give us a like, a share. Please leave some comments, give us some feedback and um, let anybody else know if you think uh, somebody else might find this podcast interesting then please pass it on. Anyway, this is an interview I had a few weeks ago with Livingston manager, David Martindale. So I'm joined with Livingston manager, David Martindale. David, thank you very much for taking the time to to speak to me this afternoon. Um, One of the reasons I wanted to, to reach out to you is I've heard a couple of podcasts where you've spoken about your managerial sort of outlay and how you look at managing players. Um, you know, when you look at your career from is it Broxburn United to now sitting uh, Broxburn Juniors, Juniors, yeah. Broxburn Juniors, aye. And so you're going from junior football and then you've been part of Livingston Football Club all I'm the way through. Yeah. Actually, I'm amateur. I played pub football Sunday morning pub league sat. Sunday afternoon, probably in Saturday amateurs. So wow, yeah. Then progressed to junior football, and then into Livingston, and now you're sitting in the Scottish Premier League, knocking on the door of the top six and the potential of European football. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully that's something we get. It's just try to keep the continuity and keep keep complacency out the door. Basically, that's uh, the biggest one you'll probably find in management is don't be complacent and try not to allow the players to become complacent, but. Complacency is one of these traits that creep up on you before you know you're being complacent. So it's up to me to try and notice all these telltale warning signs before we actually complacency sets in. So for me, it's just about putting demands on the players. Yeah, I mean, I want to go back. I mean, the the big talking point about yourself when you became the the manager of Livingston was obviously your your history and your your past and how you spent some time in in prison. Um. You know, we don't have to go into the details of, of all that, but the challenges of coming out of prison and getting back into normal employment, never mind getting put into such a a public-facing role and becoming a football manager, what was that like for you? That, the most difficult part of any of that was probably being on bail. So when I got charged in April 2004, I got imprisoned in AM October 2006. During that period, I knew I was going to prison. I knew I was going to plead guilty. So 
That was probably the most difficult part, the two and a half years of waking up every morning knowing you're going to prison and going to bed knowing you're going to prison. Like, I'm going to leave my family. So, silly things, you go out for Sunday dinner and you go, this could be my last Sunday dinner with my, my son and my, my partner. So, the two and a half years were probably the most difficult part. Getting prison brought a wee bit of closure to my life mm -hmm. and I now had an end date. I had a date that I could aim for. And that kind of... <sighs> The two and a half years on bail built up a huge, incredible mental resilience, which I think stayed with me with today. During the two and a half years, I went to university and I was desperate to get a piece of paper to say I'm a productive member of society. I'm mm -hmm. not just a convicted criminal. So I worked towards getting my degree while I was on bail. But that was probably the most difficult part. The two and a half years, albeit I'm at university, knowing that you're going to prison every night close your eyes and every morning when you open your eyes but I think that built up a, a huge mental resilience in me yeah yeah going when you're in prison then you know a lot of us we, we talk a lot on this podcast about communication and communication styles how we communicate with other people what's it like communicating with fellow inmates prison guards etc it's um I've I turned it into a positive to be honest like I'm not saying I enjoyed prison but I got on with it Mm -hmm. I go on and try to make it a positive. The amount of times people would come up and I'd be, they'd go, you like it in there? I'd say, I don't like it in here, but I'm making the most of it. I wasn't down, I wasn't glum, I wasn't negative. Don't get me wrong, you've got your dark hours, but I try to make it a positive experience. You live you live your life on your intuition. You get very good at reading people because you're, you're living with hundreds, hundreds of inmates and dangerous inmates for all walks of life. Mm -hmm. It's not like you'd be... The diverse range of people that's in prison would shock you if you were actually in the prison system, their backgrounds. Um, so you live a wee bit on your intuition, probably helps me a little bit in today as well, because I'm very intuitive and that helped me get through my prison sentence. Um, you've got to deal with all different types of characters. And um, I think that's something I've probably always been good at in, in my life. Um, I'm fairly academic, although I wasn't growing up. I mm. was academic, I just never applied myself. So I'm not going to say I'm high and intelligent. I'm intellectual. I, I'm smart enough to understand life, so to speak. So um, I think that's helped me get through my prison sentence, whereas I could relate to a lot of different types of individuals. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that intuition. I think, you know, that's the that's a common phrase. I think the buzzword in today's world is awareness and being aware of other people and how they do it. Taking that into then the, that that different that, that environment in prison and then taking it into a sort of football environment. Um you've come out of prison, you've got your qualification, a degree. Uh what was it you you you, you studied? So when I came out of prison, I still spent 18 months at Harriet Watt. So I started my course in August 2004 and I finished my four-year degree in January, uh, June 2010. Mm -hmm. So, um, not 2011, sorry. So I spent 18 months when I released from prison still as a full-time student at Harriet Watt and I studied project management, but predominantly construction. Right. It was a construction-based project management, but... I've always been methodical and I've always kind of had a pragmatic approach to my thought process, the way I lead my life. And I think that's really helped me taking that skill set. So even maybe so, the skill set I learned growing up, dealing with different people, living on my intuition, going to prison, 
and then studying and getting a big piece of paper that says that I'm intellectually intelligent enough to pick up new things or do certain jobs. So having that wee piece of paper really, really made me feel like a productive member of society. I wasn't just a convicted criminal. Mm-hmm. I think I've had to live in my intuition most of my life. If I look back to growing up in gangs, things like that, living on your intuition. But the project management side of things has really helped me coming in even a football club, because what I would probably say, this is me going on, I'm in my end of my ninth season, going into my tenth year at the club, and I think for maybe year seven, I've just kind of been left to run the club, and I project manage the club, I project manage my staff, I project mm-hmm. manage the players, so I, I, I think I'm fairly methodical, and pragmatic, I'm honest enough, um, but I think that's really helped me in my skill set being a manager, because really, ultimately, if you strip it all back, what is it you're doing? It's your project managing a football club. Yeah. Your project managing a football team. So as a as a skill set there that I've implemented and used that skill set in a footballing environment. Yeah, I just want to go back very briefly. Um, you mentioned about before prison and going growing up being in gangs and stuff like that. Now, for a lot of young people who find themselves in these situations, you know, there's maybe one or two ways that it can go. You find yourself in the wrong end of maybe getting into physical trouble, violence and things like that, or the other way you end up in prison. So in, you talk about that sort of intuition that you had. You obviously need that to survive in that kind of lifestyle, don't you? Well, I was, all, I was involved in organised crime, so you're, you're, you're in a, a dangerous environment, but that was, that was normal. That was fairly normal for me. That's kind of the next evolution in my process of growing up, coming from the scheme, coming from gang culture. So you you, you live on your intuition. You've those experiences of these those adverse experiences have really helped me on later on in life. So, mm-hmm. but again, it was fairly normal for me. I didn't know anything else, and I'm not making excuses, but um, it was. I was a product in my environment. That's what my environment was. And it, it, for me at that point in time, looking back, yes. But for me at that point in time, it, it was normal. It was a normal mm-hmm. experience to live in. On to the communication then, you know, and, and back to that intuition side of things, knowing who you can and can't speak to in certain ways in gang organised crime, knowing who you can and can't speak to in certain ways in prison, and then taking that awareness and intuition to know how you can and can't speak to certain people in a football environment or even just in a project management in any business environment is there sort of similarities you've taken all the way through your life um yeah i would 100 percent it's it's i think it's life experience and i think sometimes that's maybe where Football players going into football management with no real life experience kind of it makes the job a lot harder for them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Whereas again, I've tried to use my skill set. I've used my life skill set, my experiences to help me out in a professional sporting environment. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it all comes down to your life experience. I'm not saying you have to have adversity in your life to use that as a positive, I'm not saying that, but it does add to your life experience, but it helps you coming into a football club, because I'm dealing with all members of staff are kind of, 
they come to me on a daily basis, whether it's football, the footballing staff or the non-footballing staff. So you're dealing with a diverse range of different people. Um, and I think my background previously has really helped me do that. Do you think it's harder now for professional footballers taking the step up into coaching and management because it's very difficult if you've played at a certain level? I mean, kids are joining pro youth now under 16s and then they're staying in the football bubble all the way through their careers and their lives. Pro youth at under 11s. Yeah, so you could be a, you could be coming out of football now in your mid to late 30s looking at a career in coaching, but they haven't had the... You, you go, I go back and you look at people like, you know, the, the main one that springs to mind is Sir Alex Ferguson who had that part-time kind of part in his life and, and he, he obviously through his own life experience away from football running pubs and things like that and then taking on part-time football clubs and seeing a different side to football coming in he had he can bring those things similar to yourselves but for a lot of people in football now that that that, ex, that life experience can be very hard to get if you've been in the football bubble your whole career in life. That's one of the main problems I find now the boys that are coming from top, top, top level, they're probably top, top players for a reason. It's not just down to ability. It's a, their football and intelligence, their intellectual capacity. So they, they're, they're naturally, I think, these people would be successful if they applied themselves to most things in life. Mm -hmm. So these top, top professionals probably adapt a little bit better. But if you have came from, I'm not going to say a mediocre, a professional background, You've not been a top, top, top player, but you've had a successful career, but you've had everything done for you for the past 15, 18 years. It's very it's very difficult then to get thrown into the other side where you have to do everything for the player mm. when you've been the player who had everything done for them. There's a lot of different facets to the gate, to the job that people don't understand. So I think it's it's different. I think society's a lot different now. You look at Sir Alex, I'd probably say his upbringing... <laughs> It wasn't that privileged upbringing. So you're, you've got that adversity in your life going right through from the start of your life. The govern shipyards growing up in govern. Like myself, like sharing a bedroom with my, my younger brother most of my life. Yeah. We never never had a four-bedroom house. It was my sister, my brother, my mum and dad. And then obviously my mum and dad split up when I was younger. So you never had that. So even going right back, I think society as a whole, including my daughter, we give them a lot more. Life's a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. in general for kids growing up now and people used to say that to me you've never had it so easy but you look at now the amount of kids that have got iPhones iPads we had none of that when we were growing up so mm -hmm. I think growing up now life's a little bit easier for children in terms of how they live their life not everybody I understand that I understand they're still poverty but I think life can be a little bit easier because as parents we all want to make our kids life that little yeah. bit easier is sometimes it's striking that balance between giving them what they need and them going out and earning or finding a way to get what they need, you know, a hard work ethic. So I think that can filter right through. If you're a young kid in an academy for under 11 and you're getting tracksuits, you're training in first team facilities, you've got coaches that are all accredited coaches, I think the game's went a wee bit sterile. Yeah. Because you've got to have a piece of paper to be a coach and I don't really agree with that, how I understand why we do it. I don't necessarily agree with it because I thought we've lost a lot of creativity from coaching, telling people to be a coach, this is how you become a coach, this is what you do and you need this piece of paper. I thought we've lost a full generation that could have brought a lot more to a game that haven't got that piece of paper that don't want to go out and go through coaching courses. Yeah. 
So I think there's a there's a huge element. It's different asset aspects to as to maybe why maybe why certain certain managers who wear players. It's it's a totally different ball game when they do actually step up and become a manager, and the chance of success is probably a lot lower than what it used to be. Mm. So how how do you how do you manage that then, David? If you it, it, you know you're saying that we've we've all heard the stories and we've all heard about you know managers that like the stick versus the carrot and all these kind of things so if you've got a group of players who you think you've not been through enough hard times you've not been through enough adversity or how how do you do that and communicate that or, or manage well, these I people necessarily i don't necessarily identify as someone not being through adversity or he's had an easy life or the stick the stick or the carrot i don't really i let i, I manage off my intuition but I do think in a modern day player, there's different ways now that players learn. Mm -hmm. There's different ways that players adapt. And I've got to be smart enough and I've got to be cute enough to deliver my information, really my mythology, my coaching philosophy, however you want to call all these new new buzzwords. My The way I see I want my players to play the game, my implementation, how do I deliver my message, how do I get that across to the players so they can do that on the park. And there's different different ways to do that and you manage everybody differently. Yeah. There's some things like the, the leaked video at Stenhouse Muir, me shit going crazy at him. That's that's not something that happens every game. But at that point in time my intuition told me that was what was needed. There's other times you go in and have to pick the players up because they've been in the wrong end of a bad decision. Or they've played very well but enough nothing from the game. So you've got to go and pick them up and give them a cuddle. There's other times you need a bit of positivity. There's other times you need a bit of harsh reality. There's other times you might need a kick up the bum. But that's you're dealing with a diverse group of different people. Mm -hmm. So I've got to find a way, my intuition. I don't have preconceived ideas when I go in the changing room. My reaction and my emotions from the first forty five minutes of the game probably determines my reaction in the changing room. So on that occasion when I went crazy and it's somebody's video that I leaked it and put it out, that was due to our application in the first 45 minutes of that game. Yeah, I think we needed to be better because we were playing lower league opposition and no matter how I'd prepared the, the players on the day and the week leading to that game, I felt they needed a jolt. And some players you can do that with, some players you can't. But again, that comes down to, for me, life experience. It comes down to my intuition. How do you interact with different individuals? But I don't identify some days. There's one way, there's all different ways to do that. Yeah, yeah. Perception's a big one here. And, and we we form perceptions. And, you know, we talked before we started about football can sometimes be a very close shop for people, particularly if you've maybe not played the game. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned amateur football, junior football, but how hard is it for somebody that's not only not played the game, but also had the the background and the history that you've had to try and get into football? And how have you managed to combat that to get people on your side instead of having a, a preconcepted idea about who you are? I'm always going to be judged. I'm always going to get judged, and I still get judged to this day. Um, social media can be a, a cruel place at times. But anyway, so I don't come out to change people's perception. I've just got, I try to be me, I try to be myself, and some people are going to accept me for who I am, or some people are going to try and be very negative towards me, and I still get that today. But Livingston were in a bad place. I'm, people people got to remember, I never walked into a Premier League club. Mm. I came into Livingston, we were in the Championship, there was no money, they were struggling to pay the wages. I was doing 100 jobs at a club, maybe not 100, that's 
exaggerating, but I had five or six different roles. I was building building new partitions, fixing burst pipes, doing a bit of electrical work, doing a bit of flooring work, fixing the roof. I was doing a lot of stuff because the club was in a bad way. So the club offered me the opportunity to come in, but in return for that opportunity, I wanted a, an opportunity to watch first team training and be part of the first team uh, training. And John McGlynn, John John was open to that idea and mm. John allowed me into the building. John was only here six months and then Mark Burchill got the job. Um, so mine was a natural evolution, progression, but the only way I got my opportunity was coming in as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. And I put a lot of hard hours and I think I showed. First and foremost, I had a, a university degree that I'd lo- not long got. So no, everybody said, well, here's a convicted drug dealer. Here's someone who's been a convicted drug dealer, but it's got a, a certain level of intelligence because he's got a degree for university. So that maybe helped change people's perception of me. Mm-hmm. And then once I was in the door and they got to know me and they seen how how hard a worker I was, then the perception probably changed. But from the outside, people looking in probably look at David Martindale and the perception is still maybe, again, to suit the narrative, I'm a convicted criminal. Well, he's a wee bit old school in his approach, which would be a million miles from yeah. the truth. Yes, I am a convicted criminal and I'll never get away with that. But my approach isn't old school. Yeah. I, I think you've got to, in any walk of life, you've got to have a good attitude. You've got to have a good application. And do you know what? You've got to be able to go out there and work hard and roll the sleeves up. And I believe in the collective. I think we're much stronger as individuals if we believe in the collective mm-hmm. than what would be if we were... Uh, coaching or playing as individuals so I'm a team player oh. I'm a team player and that's probably why I get the most out of my players because they understand that also I put a lot of demands on them um, I'll run through a brick wall for you but I expect the same back if you're not being, if you're not able to apply yourself properly on, on and off the park you're probably not going to last at Livingston because these are traits in you as a human being that I look for in you as a football player mm. You mentioned about you know getting to know you better helps people's perceptions to understand who you are. Does that work the same with your players? And do you spend time getting to know your players as individuals, um, so that you know when you can give them, uh, you know, when you can put your arm around them, or when you need to shout at them, and who takes what what kind of form better? I think my 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 office. The staff office, our staff office, I've not got my own office. We all sit in one big area that I've turned into a staff office. So mm-hmm. it's an open plan office and we're all sitting in there. It's literally two metres from the first team changing room. So my daily, daily um, basis, I'm meeting the players continually throughout the day. I'm in the changing room, they're in the office. So again, that culture is not a them and us because I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I don't like that in any walk of life, a them and us. It's we're all in this together. We're all in the collective and we're all trying to push in the one direction. So I don't believe in the name and us culture. Um, so the location of the staff office, the openness of the staff office in relation to the players' changing room. I spend a lot of time in the players' changing room just chatting, having yeah. a laugh or talking football or talking about something else that's happened elsewhere in life. So you do spend time getting to know them, but then that again comes down to Coaching, I spend a lot of time on a one-to-one basis verbally with the players. I like to bring them in the office. I have a lot of one-to-one sessions. So twice a year, at minimum twice a year, I'll go through the full team and have a one-to-one session with every player mm. just to make sure we're all on the same page. If I can help them or they can help me. Um, and I, hand in heart, 
95% of the one-to-one one sessions were both on the same page and we both understand you do get a couple of differences here and there, but I like to tell the truth, I like to be open, I like to be transparent, probably to my own detriment at times, and I do that with the media as well. I feel that I didn't want to come into football and start reciting generic lines in the press because I've had, as a fan, remember I'm a fan, Yeah. A fan, I don't like it. So I've always tried to be open and transparent in my opinion with my players on and off the park and on the media. But I do spend do spend a lot of time one-to-one and as a group yeah. with the players. And even out with the training schedule, we spend a lot of time with one another because we're in here. I'm in here about half eight, quarter past eight in the morning. I leave here quarter past four, half four, sometimes mm-hmm. later. If there's a reserve game, sometimes I'll stay for the academy coaching session. So... The players see that hard work from me, and I think when I'm asking them to work hard, they understand that um, that's a bare minimum they need. Yeah, communication with your your players. You know, it sounds that the one to ones and things like that. What about with that in that office then with your other coaching staff? What's the communication like between them? What what's the dynamics like there, and how much trust do you have with your coaching staff to to send them into training sessions to do their bits and and offer even sometimes offer you feedback on how they feel something's we'll, gone. We'll have a lot of meetings during the day. Nine o'clock, we'll have a staff meeting generally pre and post game. But most days we're all in here talking to one another anyway. So informally you're actually having meetings without hat scheduling a yeah. meeting. We're all in here. Everybody's seen what I'm doing with the players. We're all in here talking about the next session. So very open, very honest. And um, again, there's no other aim in us. Yeah. yeah. There's a line that you can't cross, but there's no other aim in us and we're all in it together. I try to give the coaches as much free reign as I can, but ultimately I'm a coach. That's the part of the job that I really enjoy. That's the part where I channel my energy because I love being on the park with the players, coaching the players. Yeah. So again, some managers don't like being on the grass coaching the players. They like their staff doing that. I'm a probably more hands-on than most managers. I think, I don't know. I think just for what I read elsewhere, mm-hmm. but I like to spend the majority of my time on the park with the players, but I do try to implement some individual time for coaches to go and do individual sessions with the players or collective sessions with the players mm. based on the information that I would like to get delivered for the pre uh, the, the, the next match. Yeah, a couple more questions. I don't want to keep you too long, David. Um, do you do much reflection? That's all you do. Really? That's all you do in football. You'll second guess every decision you make and then you'll reflect on every decision you make. Just because you get it right doesn't mean you got it right, if that mm. makes sense. I could yeah. go into the game plan, I could have my training week, do it all, then a Saturday we win. But that doesn't mean that's just based on everything I've done. So I'm probably reflect too much, but I, I, I definitely do believe that you've got to reflect on every decision you make. Because not every decision you make that you get wrong you, is wrong for the right reason. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like There's different ways. There's a lot of variables that control a football match. There's a lot of different instances within a football match that can change the outcome of what I've done or implemented during the week. So even sometimes when you get beat, you need to reflect and realise that I might have not got that wrong. We never won the points. We never got the points. But I don't think it was down to what we done as a collective group that week. Yeah. Um, so I think reflection in football, positive and negatively, I think you're, it's just a curse 
every moment of the day. You come in back in for training, you reflect on the session. Was it good? Was it bad? Was it positive? Could you have done this better? Did that work? So yeah, I think I think it's just something as an individual being the manager of the club and a coach that I think reflection reflection's one of the biggest traits that probably happens more than more than you would like it to happen yeah. because you're constantly you're constantly reflecting. But it's one of the biggest things for me as a player. When I was a player, it didn't matter what level you played at. As a human being, I think you've got to reflect on different scenarios if you want to if you want to progress as a, a human being. Do you have a certain type of reflection or is it just in general you go home, you think about it, do you keep do you keep notes? Yeah. What what or do you reflect with players, with coaches, or is it just a, a, a broad well, sort of spectrum? Broad spectrum, you're doing all of that, but Football consumes you. It takes over your life, especially like since I've came into Livingston, like it's consumed me and it's to the detriment of my family. Mm -hmm. If I'm being brutally honest, it's to the detriment of my family. But you can't you can't not sacrifice yourself if you want to be successful in football. Mm -hmm. You've got to throw yourself in, you've got to immerse yourself in it, you've got to love what you're doing, there's got to be a passion. But it does have a knock-on effect. It does have a knock-on effect in your family, so it consumes you that much that all you're doing, <laughs> whether you're playing, train, sitting in the house, driving home, on the phone, all you're doing is constantly reflecting and surmising on what's going to happen, what could have happened, what did happen. That's all you're doing, and you spend a lot of time as a football manager second guessing every decision, yeah. every decision you make because it's in the public domain. Also, I'm constantly getting judged by my staff my players, the media and the fans. Yeah. So every, you tell me, well, there's a few jobs, but there's not many jobs that every decision you make is publicly known, yeah. publicly talked about. So the job itself consumes you. And I speak to coaches, coaches coming through the club, coaches at other clubs, and I say, don't be in any rush to be a manager because I think it's a natural evolution, but enjoy being a coach. Mm -hmm. Enjoy being a coach, and that's the one thing. If we go back to go back to your question about players and managers, I think they should do their apprenticeship. I think they should take the time out to become a coach, be a coach, learn it for this side because I think there is a huge step. Yeah, I think there's a huge learning curve. Now, depends on probably what level we're talking about in coaching terms, whether it's part time or full time, which is both bring different demands. But I think um, go and learn to be a coach because. The management side of it consumes you, and I don't think if you've got that life skills, the life experiences, I think it makes the job very, very difficult. Yeah. If you were to look back then, and you, you said it's 10 seasons you're at Livingston Football Club, what do you think has been the biggest change in how you started to where you are just now? What kind of things have you learned and adapted And, and when you when you look my coach, back? My coaching, my coaching, the way, the way I recruit players, but the coaching, so for me, a modern day player now, a young player coming through the system, probably grew up with an iPhone and an iPad, mm. or a smartphone and an iPad, right? So they do a lot of their learning through visual. So they do a lot of visual learning. And this is something I've identified. How do I get my message across to the players? How do they remember that? When I was at university, I used to take notes. I'd go into my lectures. I would take notes. I would read my notes. When do you ever see football players doing that when they go into video analysis? Yeah. Well, not. But why not? Yeah. Because it's a masculine society, it's a masculine environment. But again, they don't know because I've never been out with a different environment. So I encourage your players to take notes. If you're taking notes, you're going to remember something 65% better than what you would by not taking notes. Yeah. 
I try and encourage different learning aspects. Visually, I like to send them individual stuff via their iPhone because I know they'll sit and look at it. But for me, it's a 15-minute span. You've got any longer than that, players are not watching it. Yeah. So I try and keep everything down to 15 minutes, roughly give or take. I then like to speak to them verbally on a one-to-one basis. So I like to be honest, I like to be open, I like to be transparent, but I allow them to do so with me also. So we're coaching visually, we're coaching verbally, and we're also coaching tactile, which is a bit of verbal as well, mm-hmm. on the park. And you'd be amazed at the amount of new players coming through, a modern-day player that doesn't learn his football instructions on the park. Yeah, You'd be amazed at that, but I'll guarantee you most people don't look into that. Yeah. I know the process that I had to go through to pass, pass one of my exams. I had a certain process that I worked out fairly quickly when I was in university. If I do X, Y, and Z, there's a very, very high probability that I'm going to pass my exam with flying colours. Yeah. Now, players are the same. How do we get them to pass that exam on a Saturday? Wow. We'll try to get them to learn by different ways, visually, through the iPhone, the iPad, verbally through one-to-one sessions where the players are sitting speaking to them as a collective group. And then again, the video analysis, but then again, tactile on the park. Yeah. So, as much as people like to say it's a wee bit old school, I think we've got a really a modern approach Absolutely. to how we like. But again... I'm not going to get away from what brought me success in my life. That's, but hard work. Yeah, I think hard work covers a thousand. Uh, covers a thousand sins. Like go and work hard. Had had to have a good attitude and good application to your work. I mean, I'm recruiting a player. There's four things I look for. Ability. Ability is nearly a given for me because I wouldn't be looking at them if they never had that initial ability. They wouldn't be in the door. Their appetite. How hungry are they? How hungry are they to succeed? Their application, their application again, are they going to go out there every day and work hard? And then their attitude. Yeah. So we look at the four, the four aspects of a football player that I look for, right? Ability, let's say they get that on the park. Through coaching sessions, you can't get ability through watching a video to someone else. Yeah. So I've covered that as your ability cover. Application and attitude. Is that not a mindset? Is that yeah. not a a mental aspect. So I've got to coach that. I've got to deal with that. And then your attitude. Again, your attitude comes from your mindset. So I've got to change or I've got to enhance their mindsets. Yeah. Via different ways. And one of the ways I like to do that is putting demands on the players. Because very, very quickly, they're going to succeed or they're going to fail. Yeah. It's sink or swim. You're in a football environment. If I don't get the best out of you as quick as possible, it's probably best for both parties that you move on. Yeah, because see if I've got too many day type of players in the building, I'm going to lose my job. Uh, exactly. Cynical uh, environment, football, yeah. harsh environment. You, you mean going back to your intuition then? If you've had a player that's maybe not had all four of those things that you're looking for, but your intuition's told you that you could maybe get one out, get into that. Is that something that's happened before with you? Every player. Every player. Every player's going to be missing a certain aspect, or they're, they're not fulfilling. Their attitude, can their attitude be better? That's a big one for me. Bad attitudes, they probably don't get in the door anyway. Yeah. But can I enhance their attitude? I think we can. I think we do that very well as a collective group at Livingston. Application. But I think that comes from your attitude. Yeah, how you apply yourself, yeah. Enhance that. Can we enhance that? I think we can. Yeah. And your appetite, again, comes from your attitude. Yeah. So ability, we can coach it, I can make you, I can get you better at certain aspects. 
because see if you've not got a good attitude but you've got a high ability rating, I don't think you're going to get anywhere in life. Yeah. I think you might get in, you might get opportunities, but I don't think you're going to get anywhere. So all the rest I can affect can make you slightly better, I can make you a better athlete, I can do your gym sessions, your protein, your nutrition, your hydration. We can give you all these, we can educate you in all these aspects of what will make you perform better on the park. We do that anyway. We can do all that. But the one thing that's difficult and I found difficult to change within a player's attitude. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, when you're sitting speaking to a player, they'll not have a bad attitude. Mm. Sign that contract and they're knowing the team. That's the big one. Yeah. That's the one. Go back to your learning styles and stuff like that. It's interesting about what you've mentioned about even your own pathway. A lot of people you, you listen to, Sir Dave Brailsford, there's, there's plenty of other examples of people who never really applied themselves at school. But it wasn't until later in their life where they found what they enjoyed. They actually enjoyed learning because they found the yeah. way that they like to learn. You know, you've you've done that. You said that going into your um, doing your degree and things like that. How do you apply or bring in a learning culture into an environment where you said that might not football is not seen as a high learning culture area? So how do you get players into that mindset to to actually learn to understand how they learn? So that it helps them, you know, achieve higher things in their in their careers. I'm lucky in the aspect that I can, and I don't mean this to come across in this sense. I can tell them they're doing it. First and foremost, I'm your employee. Yeah. So if you want to come in the building, we'll have this chat before it. But this is what's the minimum expected from you. Now, what you'll find is players might not be that open to it, but when they start doing it and they realise performances improve on the park, they've got a first for it. Their appetite for it gets better. So the learning culture, I don't change the culture at Livingston for the player. They fit into my culture. Yeah, I'm lucky in the aspect that I've had, I'm going into my 10th season. So this building along with my staff, we set the culture, not the players. They fit into our culture. Yeah. So if you want to come into Livingston, this is the bare minimum that you're going to be asked to do. If you think you can do that, great. We'll try and be successful together. Mm. But if you're not willing to apply yourself properly, you're not going to be here, but I put the demands on the players as they come in the building straight away. But we set the culture. Yeah. By telling a player we want you in video and you've got to do this and you've got to that's a bare minimum for you to do your job. It's part of your code of conduct as a Livingston player that you've got to fulfill these duties. But even if I was to leave Livingston, I would probably have to adapt to someone else's culture. Yeah. I can't go and enforce my culture on them. But even the way you were saying, so, sorry, David. Even the way you were saying about how you, uh, you you'll adapt the way that you get information to people to adapt to you know the way that you, instead of doing a, a video analysis session, for example, with a group, you might feel more comfortable knowing that I can get the point across to this person on a one to one. You've identified that you know some people learn better doing the doing it practically. Other people learn better from maybe watching a video. You've identified that video lengths have to be a certain you know it yeah. can't be longer. So. Even though you're saying that these players have to fit into your culture, which is completely understandable, but you're also saying that your culture's bendy to help work with the players on their learning abilities. I think the unique selling point, if you strip everything back, the unique selling point at Livingston, it's a difficult part of my job three years down the line. It's come to Livingston and let's get you moved on. Yeah. So come here, we'll meet you better and we'll move you on. Two, three years' time when the player chaps at bottom doesn't want to sign a new contract because he can go elsewhere for double his money. That's the difficult part. But 
everyone coming in this building's coming to Livingston because they want to kick on, they want yeah. to get better. So I'm signing underdogs. Where I'm recruiting from, I'm having players an opportunity to progress their life, not just their career, their life. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So going by our recruitment strategy, you know, listen, if I move to a club and players are picking up 15, 20, 25 grand a week, there's a different culture there. Yeah. Maybe there's players that just want to sit and don't play football and pick up 15, 25 grand a week. I've not got that at this club, but I think intellectually I'm smart enough to adapt to that. Yeah. But um, basically, you're getting a player. A player signs with us, it's not financially motivated. Right. So straight away, straight away, I, I think their attitude, when they want to sign for Livingston, their attitude's got to be bang on. Because mm-hmm. when I phone a, a player and he's like, what's the wages? I tell him roughly what the average wage is. I but what you mean? Well, I've no seen you play. You'll need to come in yeah. and trial. Like these kind of things. So you kind of weed out players no, with bad attitudes, with a different mindset to what I'm looking for. I want hungry players that are coming here with an op- giving them an opportunity to kick on and progress their career. So right away, a player that says, I would sign, I want to sign, I would say I'm I'm more or less seventy five percent of the way there with their attitude. Yeah, wow. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, just final question then, David. As this is a sort of communication themed podcast, then as a football manager who has to communicate with supporters, media, players, and 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 directors and all sorts, what would you say are sort of the three main fundamentals of communication for you then? If, I think I'll always try to be honest but obviously not everybody's going to agree with you but I try to be honest I try to be pragmatic also I try to see both sides of the coin and I'm pragmatic in my approach and in my mindset and transparency but the kind of three of them are all interlinked they're nearly yeah. all saying the same thing here but for me that's the biggest one I always just try to be me people say oh you're very authentic and but that's just me. Yeah. I don't want to be any different. Now, I know for a fact probably how I come across probably puts chairman and supporters off at other clubs, but I can only be me and I can only tell you how I see it. But I think that approach in life, I don't think there's many people in life don't don't appreciate a bit of honesty. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm probably brutally honest at times. And But you know what? There's no many players left this football club. I mean... I don't like him. Yeah. I don't like him. I've had players recently, they leave, but they'll thank you because yeah. they've came in, they've became a better player. They've maybe not quite made it because you're not going to get them all right. Mm-hmm. There's 11 players that start every game on a Saturday, but you've got a squad of 24, 23, 24. But a lot, most players will shake your hand and go, thanks. Thanks very much. Um, it's not quite worked out, but I think I'm leaving a better player and a better person. Because yeah. we instill the hard work, the, the work ethic into the players and everything we do, everything we do, wow. just into the demands that we put on them in the culture at the club. No, it's been fantastic to catch up with you, Davey, and I really, really do appreciate you giving me the time. Um, it's a really, it's an insight to to something that a lot of people don't often get. So thank you very much for that, and I found it very entertaining and enjoyable as well. You can send me your podcast link when it comes out. Will do. Appreciate All that. Right. Cheers. Thanks very Cheers. much for that. Cheers, Thank then. You. Bye. 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 Bye.